Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the war room. We got Tez, Kill, Jimmy, PJ, B. Austin, a hot block commander. How you want to end up on a two-hour show and keep the brain running with the premise of talk sports on a national level? Vote with the topic, sort of like the rubber. When it's game time, they like the Fab Five doing prime time. Sports conglomerates speak their minds a little bit. For sports medicine and sports veterans and greats. The 4 for 26, so the war ain't can wait. It's the war room with five nights at the round table. Five silly guys, diversified and educated. Turn me up in my headphones, though. Alright, let me know if I'm choppy B. What's good, War Room family? You're once again live in the War Room. Brought to you by War Room Sports on the War Room Sports Podcast Network. I'm one of your hosts. I'm Dev McMillan. And I'm at the round table with my brother. We got B. Austin in the building. Uh, Jimmy the Blueprint is listed as doubtful again as he's a little under the weather. Look, week two of the NFL season is in the books. We got to spit some bars about a great fight and some NBA news as well, so keep it locked right here. And if you want to get in on the conversation, make sure you sign in right now to the JW Philly Realty chat room at blogtalkradio.com slash the war room, or join us on Facebook or Twitter at War Room Sports. You can also call us directly in about five to ten minutes when we open up the digital extreme tech hotline. That number is 323-410-0012. Before we get started, make sure that during the week when we're not live on the air, you check out archive episodes of our show at warroomsports.com, the War Room Sports mobile app, iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spreaker, and most other places you do your podcast, list, podcast listening. What up, B? Yo, I heard from your president that that hurricane was one of the wettest in history from a water standpoint. What's wrong with your man's vocabulary? <laughs> That is one of the greatest hurricanes in history from a water standpoint. (laughs) Yo, yo, I didn't think there would ever be anyone in the White House dumber than Dan Quayle, but he got Dan Quayle beat by a mile. (laughs) You had Danny, you had had old George W. Like, yo... The way people used to clown George W., like, I think dude is, like, intelligent in comparison to what we're dealing with. By far. By far. The wettest hurricane in history from a water standpoint. What? (laughs) Yeah. So, I I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm having some computer issues over here, so... I know there's people probably trying to join us in the, the JW Philly Realty chat room. Um, I'm going to try to get that open as we move along, but uh, no promises here. <laughs> no promises. Um, I don't even have my notes and my stories and all that kind of stuff up, man. It's one of those type of days. But we're going to do this anyway because we're professionals and we've been doing this for a long time. So let's jump right into some hot topics. And as usual, hot topics are brought to you by MyBookie. Let me talk to you guys real quick about MyBookie. Um, the NFL is back, so if you haven't checked out MyBookie, it's a great time to do so. You can lay down some dough on the biggest games in sports. Join us and thousands of other online players placing bets at MyBookie.ag. If you're tired of getting the runaround when it's time for a payout, that's why we urge you to join MyBookie. You win, they pay fast without any hassles. 
You wasting your time betting on sports anywhere else. They even have in-game live betting so you can place wagers after kickoff, tip-off, face-off, whatever you're betting on. Join now and my book will match your first deposit. Like, that's cheating to me. Like, they let (laughs) you cheat. I know, and and that's the thing. Like, you know, since since they've been a sponsor, like, I haven't tried to make any bets. I'm not much of a gambling man anyway, but I haven't tried to make any bets after kickoff. So, you know, I got to I got to jump on and see what they talking about with that, because if, you know, some important wide receiver gets hurt on the opening kickoff, I'm hedging my bet and I'm going to see if they honor it. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all can join right now. My bookie will match your first deposit with a 50 percent bonus. Just use the promo code war room in all caps to activate the offer. Visit mybookie.ag today. Play, win and get paid. There's nothing else to it. All right, so we're gonna uh, get, yeah, we're gonna get into these hot topics. And hot topics, you know, you can place your bet for hot topics like midway through. Just just let us know. Anyway, <laughs> did you get to see the the Canelo Triple G Part Two that went down Saturday night? B? I missed it. I missed, missed it, it, but I heard. Fight of the year, and the, the, the no crazy, one defended you know, anything. They just threw down. They just threw, and and I mean it's amazing. And we thought this in the first fight. I know I thought this in the first fight. It's amazing that these guys can go toe to toe and just throw because they're two of the hardest hitting, you know, boxers in boxing, pound for pound. Definitely the hardest hitters in the middleweight division. So you would think there will be way more strategy involved in fighting each other. But these dudes have iron chins because in two fights, they've walked through the best that the other one has had to offer. Like punches that had other opponents crumbling and doing the Zab Judah legs and doing the Roy Jones, I'm asleep, wake me up later. Like, it's amazing to see it happen. And it was a great fight from beginning to end. Um, the 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 decision was a little controversial for a lot of people, but what's new, it's boxing. Um, Canelo won by a majority decision. Remember, the first fight was a draw. So the first scorecard had this as a draw, and then the other two um, had the fight scored slightly for Canelo. But a lot of people were upset, thinking that Triple G may have outpointed him and, and took some of the rounds that he got Um I I thought, I personally thought, like, my first indication would have been that it would have been another draw. But I think they were trying to get it over with so they could get these belts, you know, get this thing moved on, um, possibly for another rematch, which, if I'm one of these guys, I don't want to fight this guy again because they're going to ruin each other's brains for any fight. I ain't trying to to lose my my fucking power any more than (laughs) they already have. Punching power, thinking power, like they just keep beating up on each other, man. They're just gonna ruin each other for everybody else. So, um, yeah, man, it was it was a great fight. Um, I would have scored it a draw, but I wasn't mad at the Canelo uh, decision either. I wouldn't have been mad at all for a Triple G deci- decision. It was that good of a fight, in my opinion. Um, Triple G early in the fight was definitely working the jab. And, you know, his jab is a little different from every other jab in the business because his jab is damn near a power punch. 
Um, but power punches landed again, went to Canelo. So, you know, you know, the kind of stuff that kind of fools judges activity, power punching, stuff like that. Even though I would say that triple G was the more active fighter. Um, Canelo still came away with the, uh, with the victory. So that's, that's a great fight. You know, you, you got your man Floyd talking about fighting uh, Pac-Man again in December, coming out of retirement to fight Pac-Man. So I can guarantee you that, you know, these two fights, this fight especially, is going to be a fight of the year contender way before Floyd and Pac-Man, you know, get it done for another boring bout once again. But um, shout out to those guys. If they want to do it a third time, time, I'm all for it. I'm just saying, if I was one of them, I wouldn't take the fight again. You would be like, no. I mean, let's let's take our analyst hat off for a minute. Well, you know my analyst hat is off when I ask this question. Do you really, how do you feel when you hear Funny Gayweather talk about fighting Manny Pac-Man again? Like, how does that make you fix? Like, what are your thoughts when you hear such buffoonery like what what do you how does that where does that take you as a boxing fan i mean i've always i mean you know i've always acknowledged the greatness of floyd and even if you want to look at his roster of opponents you know saying there are going to be some great names on it but what i do always say is floyd knows when to pick fighters you know even even if it's a, a younger fighter like a canelo you know, because people ask, like, you know, if everybody want to say this, what's the excuse with a guy like Canelo? Well, at the time, Canelo was like 21 years old, though he had a lot of fights. I mean, you know how Mexican fighters are. They first start, they fight every other Tuesday. Yeah, Mexicans start fighting when they're seven years old. So, right. that's not so really he bad. had a lot of fights under his, under his, uh, you know, under his name, but he didn't have enough experience at 21 years old to be in the ring with Floyd Mayweather. The same thing with Manny. Like, the first Manny fight should have happened five years. Floyd kind of picked and chose when he was going to actually get that done. And we're doing this again. Like, Manny was over the hill the first time you guys fought. Um, they're going to do it under, again now some under years the later hill. where he's really over the hill. Now, but this, because people will say, well, Floyd's older too. Now, this is where I compliment Floyd because I don't think Floyd ages like other box- boxers. Like, he stays sharp you know his defense keeps him sharper than other fighters at a certain age so he still has the luxury of picking and choosing like oh this guy might be young and not ready for me yet this guy might be old and over the hill while Floyd kind of seems like he doesn't age or his skill set doesn't age so that's a compliment I I know people are probably sitting there you know that's definitely a compliment that he can choose and and you know, I, I hate dudes. I hate dudes. But the last time we saw Floyd fight, you know, <laughs> dude didn't look any different than he did eight years before that. Like, <laughs> I, I, I don't see no age. I don't see no age, man. And people were nitpicking and trying to say, oh, well, if I'm him, I'm not training to fight an uh, uh, MMA fighter all that hard either. He knew what he had to do and that where he had to be. To win that fight, Floyd probably was eating grapefruit and laying on a beach and taking pictures with his money until the last second because he could afford to. I didn't see any age or even real ring rust when he fought uh, McGregor, man. 
even though that was a cowardly act in and of itself for him to even do that, disrespectful <laughs> to the sport. See, that was another but, thing. That was another pick and choose type thing. You're like, okay, McGregor's a, a, a great MMA fighter, but as long as he can't do most of that stuff, there's no way that this guy is going to have the skill set to see me in the ring. It was more competitive than we thought it would be, but it was another thing where Floyd knew, like, I can get this huge payday and no. not really be threatened. You know, to I'm gonna give I'm gonna give coward I'm gonna get a coward Floyd even more credit. I think it looked more competitive because he chose to make it. He was like, "Yo, I know how bad this really would look if I really wanted right. to be." So let me make it look like, yo, if he didn't want McGregor to touch him, McGregor wouldn't touch him. I, I thought about that as well because because I, I was a little surprised at how McGregor touched him a little bit, and I'm like. That makes you ask the question, like, is Floyd finally aging or did he have to stage this and make this look competitive for a little while before he just straight dominated this dude? We will never know. Well, we, we might because Floyd is the type of dude he'll tell you in some, you know, some years from now. Like, man, I let that dude hit me. So we might know. All right. Floyd, so Floyd going to say that whether it's true or not. Yeah. So, um, like I said, I'm I'm still having issues over here. So this sounds like this is going to be a show without notes. So we're not going to have a lot of facts and quotes for some of these stories we talk about. <laughs> so if we sound crazy, and we just um, your man Jimmy Butler has requested a trade from the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, you know, last year I don't, I, you know, he didn't really get along too well with the young stars that the Timberwolves already had and Cat and Andrew Wiggins. Now he's requesting a trade. I believe the three teams were New York, the LA Clippers, and I want to say the other team is Brooklyn. Like I said, don't have my net, my notes. So, you know, if that's not it and you want to call in and correct us or get in the chat room and correct us, uh, please do. Um, so what are your thoughts about Jimmy, you know, this quickly uh, requesting a trade? Um, he's saying he would like to be traded by media day, which is this coming Monday. Like, what are your thoughts on this whole Jimmy Butler thing? Um, I really, I'm, I'm, I'm salty that our brother uh, Jim Browski got mononucleolus from kissing midgets, but it, he would be able to offer a very unique perspective on this because I think he would see an alternative to what I'm about to say. I'm going to go ahead and give Jimmy Butler the benefit of saying that he's a bit of a throwback where his competitive nature is concerned from what I've heard, because Jimmy Butler was supposed to be a tall nobody in life and look where he is now. And so I think that he has a scratch-and-claw mentality, and mm-hmm. I think that Cat and Wiggins are interested in taking pictures for Instagram and AAUing it up, and they're just happy to be here and be famous and getting paid a lot of money as opposed to really committing themselves to being winning players. Um, and I think that rubs – Jimmy Butler the wrong way, but but that's completely speculative on my part. I need to hear more from out of their locker room to re- from from another source to confirm what my speculation is. I, I'd like to hear what a guy like Jamal Crawford 
would would have to say about it. Right. Like I'm interested. No, I mean, hearing, you know, Jimmy has a history of being outspoken. Like it's nothing for him to call out his teammates in the media. Um, my thing with Jimmy, and I and, and I agree with you. Like Jimmy Butler is an overachiever. He has worked himself to be a top fifteen to twenty player in the NBA. But I'm looking at some of the stuff that he does these days, including this trade request, including giving them a time limit on the trade request. Like Jimmy Butler, he knows how hard he he's worked, and he's really feeling himself right now. Like who the hell is Jimmy Butler to tell? Because first of all, he he also said. Minnesota didn't want to – he wanted a $155 million extension, um, and they weren't ready to play ball. So, I mean, he's claiming that's why he wants to go, but we all do know it's it's documented that he has some problems with the younger guys on his team. you talking about what's coming out of their locker room. Like, now that he's made the request, all kinds of uh, – reality show, loving hip-hop type speculation is coming out now. Now we're hearing that Jimmy Butler might have slept with Carl Anthony Towns' girl. Um, uh, Because of this whole thing, Andrew Wiggins and Steven Jackson having a social media uh, thug, e-thug war right now. Steven Jackson has made two videos about Wiggins. Wiggins did a post that said um, old heads always hating, like you know, you you ain't even special. your bum ass. <laughs> I'm, I'm hopeful you're listening to this show. Listen, bro, you don't want that smoke. You from Canada? Yeah, no, I mean he don't want that smoke on that level. But Wiggins kept it kind of on a basketball level. He just called him a bum, and then of course, but then he said something like, you know, I keep the same energy wherever I go. So that's ambiguous. You know, Steven Jackson, of course, took that one way. He didn't take that ambiguously. So Steven Jackson started talking about some street stuff on his video because, you know, Wiggins, you know, though he seemed to keep it basketball, you know, he threw out the keep that same energy. And, and that could be read. Listen, keep that same energy is one of my favorite slogans of all time. And it does come from this generation. I love it. I, I'm I'm quoted as saying that on a number of occasions. Question question for you. My perception of Steven Jackson is kind of the same perception that I have of one Dwight Grant, a.k.a. Beanie Siegel. I feel like Steven Jackson could have been a fringe four- or five-time all-star. And because he kept it all the way. Or a five-time felon. Yeah, yeah he could have been that, too. I think because he is so committed to keeping it real that it went wrong in terms of the results of where his career ended up. Although he had a great career and made over a hundred million dollars in salary. I feel like there was a chance that he could have eked out a little bit more in terms of accolades and accomplishments individually. What, what say you? Not, um, I guess as his career went on, I could say that I agree with you, but he's another that I would put in the category of overachiever because when he came into the NBA, you know, we weren't really checking for Steven Jackson like that. But as we started to grow and and learn his, his game and his game, his greatest attribute to me was not knowing that he wasn't a superstar. So he went at anybody. He defended anybody. He talked smack to anybody, and he wasn't afraid of moments. 
I think that's what kind of endeared us to Steven Jackson and his game. So once he displayed that kind of confidence, I think that's when we did start to expect more from him. Like, Steve, man, you know, he's good enough. You know, he got a nice little jumper. Looked like it'd take a while to get off, but, you know, he got the, he got the jumper. And he got the confidence. Yeah. I mean, that's all it takes sometimes is a little bit of confidence. You know what I mean? A lot of players have stuff inside of them that they have to get out with a little bit of confidence. And, you know, he never lacked for confidence. I say he was a, a, a rich, I, I say what's the name was a poor man's version of him, like a, a Matt Barnes, like a poor man version of Steven Jackson. You know what I'm saying? He could be yeah. your enforcer, but at the same time, you can lean on Steven for a few buckets in, in a couple of moments if you know, your big even guy is free, even, not even doing their thing. You can lean on Steve. I don't know if you can lean on Matt like that. You can't lean on Matt to get you no bucks. Steve took that Charlotte team to the playoffs and was giving out 24, 25 a game for damn near a season. Like, I, I got respect. I I can look at him and say, had he not been from Port Arthur and so committed to the lifestyle of neck tattoos before everybody got a neck tattoo, I think dude, I think dude, I think dude could have, I think he could have ended up with, Put it this way, I'll 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 give you an alley oop. Who's more talented, Steven Jackson or Chauncey Billups? Yeah. Nah, I ain't gonna crap. Go ahead and hate. Go ahead and hate. <laughs> I ain't gonna I ain't gonna crap on Chauncey like that. The other day, you be thinking I'm hating. I'll just be telling you like Chauncey ain't what. Like they put Chauncey in a in a in a class that he's not in. But I ain't gonna say Steve Jackson is. But Steve Jackson was taller than Chauncey Billups. That's all I'm gonna give you. So, so I reject your alley oop. I take that and I dribble it and I lay it up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Man, so, Steven Jackson, um, thirty, easy. What? One, one last thing before we go to the uh, to the phone lines. Um, the Sixers have a GM now, and that GM is one Mr. Elton Brand. This is one of those things like, man, it makes you, um, at least in my case at least you're almost, but it makes you feel old when you're older than the GM of your favorite team that you've rooted for all your life. Um, so yeah, Elton is now, you know, he was the GM of the G league affiliate in Philly and, you know, through their search, he ended up getting the job. Now I've heard mixed reviews. I heard some people like the hell are they doing? Hell are they doing? You know, he doesn't have that kind of experience, but, to combat that, it's like, how do you get the experience if nobody ever is going to give you the experience? Um, two, I've heard people say stuff like, <laughs> um, damn, what did, somebody said something that was funny. I, I'll skip to the next one until I remember that. But, um, you know, it just seems like people think he may end up doing a bad job. Somebody said he's going to finish where Billy King started. Um, <laughs> that's funny. Like, yeah, people, people were, were killing Elton a little bit. And then, there, of course, there were a lot of people who had his back. Um, shout out to your man who you know who I'm talking about, who's always using hyperbole, the big Donovan fan. <laughs> um, he, You know, he said a whole lot of great stuff about uh, Elton Brand and the work he's put in and he'll do a great job and this and that. Like, I'm I'm of the what? mindset where I have no idea what kind of job he'll do. So I'm yeah, not going to yeah, I'm, I'm with him either way. I'm just 
I ain't crapping. I've, I've I ain't crapping on him. Right. I mean, I've grown to the point though, B. Like with all of the teams that I root for, like I no longer like scrutinize coaching hires and GM hires. You know, team, you do what you want. We'll see how it plays out. You know what I'm saying? I think my last scrutiny in Philly for a hire was probably Chip Kelly. And even that was short-lived. You know, I said my piece, and then, you know, I got behind the coach until he proved what we were talking about from the very beginning. So, you know, but, but, but while, he was, while he was jumping off the cliff, I was right there cheering him on. So, you know, I said my piece. And then, but now, these days, I don't even care because we don't really know what somebody knows, what they don't, what they're going to do, what they're not going to do. You got thoughts on this one? Yeah. Yo, man, congratulations to to Elton Brand. It's kind of crazy because he was one of those guys that, in one of our delusional fits of confidence, of overconfidence, we probably think that at some level, I know I do, that I'm better than Elton Brand at basketball. (laughs) Um, But that has nothing to do with him being a GM. Um, You know, so I I, I think that – I don't know. It's like you said. I don't. I don't. I don't know. He very well Man. may be a good GM. Care. He wasn't. I mean, if he if he starts destroying stuff, yeah, I'm gonna kill him. But right yeah. now, yeah, I don't have anything negative to say, like a lot of other people. But but he listen, yeah. I mean, that's another thing your man hyperbole man said. He was like, yeah. I mean, he should be. He's a Duke graduate. I'm like, dude. He went to Duke for like a year or two. Like. It's well documented that left Duke alum and Duke fans were killing him for leaving because he was one of the first people to do that. Back then, dudes weren't leaving Duke early. It was like him and the point guard Avery, whatever his name Corey, like Corey Spaghetti, and they started they started the trend, right? Like all of those dudes followed like Elton Brand, and um. So, yeah, he's not – I, I looked it up. He didn't go back and, and get his degree. I mean, I would kind of figure that being a GM, since you got to crunch numbers and all that kind of stuff, is like a degree-required thing. But, you know, I mean, basketball players, all of those guys who ended up in front offices don't all have degrees. So. Magic is – all you can do is smile and cheat on cookies. You all right? No, man. Yeah. I mean, and plus we're in the era where everybody hires uh, – a capologist. Everybody hires an analytics guy. So as a GM, you know, I guess you at these days the requirements are you have your eye for talent, um, mm-hmm. and you learn to be a great delegator because you're gonna have to delegate campaign, stuff to campaign, your analytics guys, your scouts, your capologists, and you know everybody that's gonna keep the money from looking like a New York Knicks roster. So. Um, <laughs> Much much respect to him. Shout out to him. Congratulations to him. Um, and I hope he trusts the process. <laughs> That's all I got to say. Let's go to the phone lines. We got a couple lined up. We got the homie Naj calling from down in GA, home of this year's Super Bowl. What up, Naj? What's going on? Nah. Hey, what up with y'all? What up, homie? Chilling. Just looking at all, right. the, all the crazy news. <laughs> Your man Jimmy Butler wants out. Jimmy the Superstar. Stephen <laughs> Jackson. Jackson, Jackson, Jackson. Jackson. <laughs> hey, 
Hey man, the Wiggins thing is the Wiggins thing is weird because we we've lost the idea of respect for the elders to a degree. And I don't mean that in the old sense of always defer to them. I mean in the sense of if it's a fight you can't win on that front, then you flip the argument. Wiggins should have said, "Oh, okay, that's cool, man. I mean, that's his criticism of me. You know, I'm just gonna keep trying to get better." Man, if he took the high ground, right. S. Jack got nowhere to go. S. Jack just looking crazy, angry, and bitter. But the moment looking you like come a bitter out, old oh, man. now you exactly. on S. Jack, you on his battlefield, and you're not going to win because he's going to have more bars than you. And if it really gets physical, you don't really want to do that. So, yeah, he, right. sometimes you got to be a little more strategic, man. You know what because I mean? Because it is be documented that Steve Jackson do bust his gun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, we know that to be fact. That's not so that's speculation. I, yeah. I agree. Like Wiggins, he definitely didn't have to throw out the ambiguous phrase. I keep that same energy wherever I go because he might be in some weird way talking about you know basketball. You know, I, I keep this, I, I'm confident about my game. I keep that same energy. But a dude like <laughs> Steven Jackson is immediately going to take that as. Oh, I keep that same energy, oh. so when I see you, I'm gonna say the same thing in your face. That's that's not that's not what you mean. <laughs> right. right. I, I don't want to hear about young blood getting slapped somewhere at some nightclub or something, man. That's that's not a good thing for your career ever. So I hope this go the right way. Somebody got to step in, and, and just this whole conversation brings us back to okay, all these GMs who are coming in. Hey, you you went to Ivy League school. You're a number cruncher. Okay, you got people under you who are running things through the optimizers and algorithms for you. You're not actually crunching the numbers yourself, so Elton Brand can do the same thing. You delegate. No, 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 but then you have a good delegator. He'll be cool. <laughs> but, but then you got the added part of the basketball part, which is, you know, basketball culture. If you're in Minnesota and you see Jimmy and these guys arguing and you don't have a basketball background or you ain't really from that culture, you say, oh, guess we got to get rid of Jimmy. Man, if you're of the culture guy, Jerry West, Jerry West probably used to take Kobe out to dinner, sit him down and tell him stories about how he used to think about killing Wilt. You know what I'm saying? Like, look, man, this, this will pass. You get over it. Y'all figure out. You know what I'm saying? But if you're not of the culture, you take these things as final and you just, you know, you just kind of let the player dictate things where it's a little bit of finesse. I think you can work most of this stuff out. Jimmy's a go-hard guy and young boy's a little too laid back. Y'all can meet in the middle on that. You don't blow it up because it's hard to put that kind of talent together. Do you think having Tibbs involved now will help? Oh, dude, the worst hire I've ever talked about in the last 20 years to me was Tibbs. Ain't no way in hell I let Tibbs around any young players. You don't let this dude drive all these young boys into the ground with Jimmy riding shotgun, telling them they need to play 38 minutes a game and be bone on bone like him? Hell no. No, no. Right. no what I, I think the only team that Tibbs should have taken over – only only team Tibbs should have taken over is if Pop would have stepped down. But even now, that's not even a good thing because the Spurs are getting younger. So, yeah, Tibbs, right. might, he might not be right for the league right now. <laughs> and especially a seven-footer like Cat, man. Uh, we, right. we did a couple years of Tibbs. Next thing you know, Cat is immobile, walking around with extra, you know, knee braces, pads, and everything else. And I, man, I ain't trying to see that, man. So, man, keep Tibbs away from young players, man. He's a danger. Dare to keep your franchise off kill. He is a drug. I don't like to do that. But uh, and then I, I guess you guys hit on uh, you know, some of the football stuff. Uh, I mean, we, can we all admit we don't know nothing? It's week two. Weird things are happening. We got two ties. 
We got you know, six passing nah. touchdowns. We don't you know will never anything, man. That. Just make your bets nah, like everybody nah, else. Nah, nah, you're too. You are far too intelligent and practical and full of common sense. For the world we live in today, why would you ask such a reasonable thing? That's not even what we do. <laughs> no, no. You know damn well that the MVP is a two-man race between Patrick Mahomes and Ryan Fitzpatrick. Patrick? You know that. <laughs> there you go. They're the best two quarterbacks in the world right now. What's wrong with you? <laughs> of course and we, we do know this every year. That's the funny part about it. We overreact every year. Oh, and, and before yeah. I get out, the Floyd thing y'all talked about. Look, man. Floyd carried your boy Connor that last fight. This was like the 1920s where you would go to the garden and the mafioso would tell the guy, look, he goes, he, he goes down in the fifth. So you drag him yeah. around to the fifth and then you lay it on him. That's what he did. No. Man. It was a cash grab. No. It was ugly. Nope, had no, no I'm glad you saw it. I'm not saying you didn't see it, Dev, but that's exactly <laughs> what I don't think. I don't think your man Connor McGregor could have even came close to touching Floyd if Floyd didn't want to get touched. Floyd was like, oh, I'll let yeah. him hit me a couple of times and make it look like it ain't completely staged. Man, that dude. Oh, go watch that I first see, round again I, I and, do. and watch Floyd throw a total of seven punches. Go watch that first round again. It is amazing. Yeah, like I but do, yeah, got off but with definitely the with, the, with the punch output. But, I, I, you know, I think dude got lucky a few times and caught him because even if you wanted to carry him a little bit, you still don't know, like, the strength of this dude, you know, coming from MMA. So you really don't want to risk getting punched real hard. So, you know, some of those he might have got in. Well, well, go, go, but, go but back I, and I can watch the fight and watch those looping, feathery like punches it. that Connor was throwing. Floyd had no problem getting hit by any of those because there wasn't nothing behind them, man. They were just quick, soft punches. They wasn't going to do anything. But look, yeah, the, and, the and that is another thing. thing. Floyd, he studies the game, so – they probably yeah. talked to and every Pacquiao single dude he sparred with. Overstated, bro. It didn't matter yeah. if he fought Pacquiao when he was 23, 19, whatever. Pacquiao was tailor-made to lose the Floyd. He doesn't defend himself. He doesn't stay in position. He's wild and reckless, and he's not disciplined. Floyd is always no, going to no, beat a no, yeah. nah, Don't get me wrong. That's I, don't, true. I don't think Pacquiao no. could beat Floyd at any age. I'm, I'm, I'm no. just looking at Pacquiao being older as if, like, okay – Pacquiao is more apt to get in a lucky shot at a younger age. Yeah, exactly. Um, even right. if nah, you're, you're speaking from a technical from a technical standpoint, absolutely, totally agree. But I feel like a 24, 26, 28 year old Pacquiao has an opportunity to be lucky with all of that power he's got and and land something that we love to see in sports, which is the upset. A thirty yeah, something year old. Yeah, but they were talking about a young oh. Floyd though too. So I mean, I, I think he gets him out of there quick. We talking about a young Floyd before the hand problems. Like Pacquiao was just a bad match for him all the way, but it was so hyped because everybody wanted to see somebody beat up Floyd. Go back to Prince Nassim. All of those fighters who we thought were going to beat Prince Nassim, who did it end up being? The fundamental plotter who had quick hands and just beat the hell out of the Prince. And that's the type of guy who was going to beat Floyd. It wasn't going to be. Anybody who's undisciplined, yeah. swinging, hoping I'm, for that lucky punch. It, it, I'm still in my feelings about bro. Prince Nassim. You ain't getting that lucky one. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I was just – I, I think wanted I just wanted more action. Like, I didn't care who won. I just wanted more action. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally true. Younger Manny wouldn't be as afraid to, to push the action a little bit. 
Um, yeah, right pushing the action there. sounds all well and good until you take two <laughs> steps forward and you get that right hand. And then all of a sudden you want to stop taking those chances so much because that right then hand the action, hurts. Then the action stops. <laughs> all right, I'm cool. I try. <laughs> but, yo, y'all hold it down, man. Y'all know me. I'm going to hang back. Most with y'all. y'all doing the right, Lord's man. work as usual, man, because there's so much bad radio out here. Keep doing what y'all do. No doubt. Thank you, man. We appreciate that. Thanks for your call. <laughs> All right, let's go. We got Tobias yep. calling in from out in the Sona. What up, Tobias? Roll down tide, gentlemen. <laughs> the tides are rolling. Roll tide roll invitational. Hey, like I said, the roll tide invitational makes it stop in Tuscaloosa this weekend. And everybody's flavor of the month, Texas A&M, will be made an example out of. But what's Bama's score? You know what's their margin so far this this season? Like 180 to like 21. Hey, <laughs> all I got to say is that remember how all these folks, including Fred, was talking about Jalen Hurts earlier. I was like, this guy is like it's like the game genie when we was kids. This guy Tua is unstoppable right now, and it, it, and they they putting a record margin. It's like Vegas can't even put up a good line right now because Alabama's breaking it. And they shutting it down at halftime. Yo, and Tobias is having fun out here. He got two quarterbacks on fire. He got two <laughs> hey, Yeah, there you go. Hey, there you go. He on fire right hey. now. But I, I got to look Jimmy Butler real quick. Go uh, ahead. Before, before we talk about Fitzpatrick, but, uh, just Jimmy Butler. And I look, it's like, see, the thing is, is that uh, sometimes you draft on talent. But you don't know how that player is until you get them in the room. And it's like, nah, as a Bulls fan, I thought Jimmy Butler would be one of these guys that hang around four or five years, be out the league or something like that. But he worked his ass off to be the good player he is, all-star level player he is he today. Definitely did. And he, he definitely he probably did. look at that big cat who, when they switched Chris Paul on him, he want to run to the three-point line instead of taking his foot eleven guy to the post. That's a whole different show. Uh but he's looking at him and William. He's probably looking at him like, dude, you got all these skills more talent than me. If you just put the work and a dedication in how good you could be, it reminds me of the suburban black kid who goes to jail for selling dope, even though he got all the privileges. That's what it reminds me of. <laughs> because look at, look at all the talent Wiggins and Cat have. But right. do you remember a moment from them? Against Houston, that playoff series, what was their moment? They put up good numbers, but did they do anything to help win? We'll talk about it. Playoffs? You kidding me? Playoffs? Yeah. Yo, the no, saddest yeah, thing I mean, about that, Tobias, is I remember Derrick Rose more than I remember them. <laughs> hey, hey, Derrick, before them injuries went out, he brung it. But, um, he came out, out in Minnesota in the playoffs. <laughs> oh, yeah, that too. And he brought it there too. He played good ball, actually. And, uh, yeah. But it just shows that sometimes everybody's – it's like everybody doesn't have it upstairs or in their in a chest. And I remember Shannon Sharp said this morning to Wiggins, to Stephen Jackson, let that go because uh, Stephen will pull up on you, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, he will. He will. Yeah, like uh, me, I'm I'm mad that it even has to go, or even potentially go to that place. So you know, I would be mad at Stephen Jackson for that. But you know, Wiggins can stop talking. He can always stop talking. Yeah. I mean, I know we all like hey. want to be a man, but 
you know, just stop talking. Um, hey, you know, hey, like the homie Nas said when he called, if he stops talking, yep. takes the high road, then Steven Jackson just looks like a bitter old man. And he starts to look hey, like the bad guy. So just stop talking. And hey, hey, you know what? Uh, y'all talk about Elton Brand. If I was interviewing Elton Brand for that job, I'd ask him one question. Would you sign Fat Barry Parker and, or in or sack the light <laughs> sack the light skinned trampoline Levine to big contracts? If he said no, you're hired. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, that's what that's what somebody hey. said, D. They said obviously, um, um, it wasn't you, was it, Tobias? Somebody was like, obviously, uh, Elton Brand has been to the Mike Brown School of Interviewing. <laughs> and <then> got... <laughs> hey, 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 have y'all seen the Bulls front office? If they could keep a job for ten plus years. I give Elton Brand a shot. That's all I got to say. We got a lot of bad GMs in the NBA. <laughs> you know. You know the, um, the good thing about Elton Brand, though, because he is closer in age to the players that he's going to be. He can relate to. You him. know, scouting, rec- recruiting. He definitely can relate. And if you've ever, you know, you were you're a Bulls fan, so you had, you know, you had moments where you can remember Elton Brand talking and stuff like that. He always seemed like a cool dude, and he always seemed even kill. Like, Elton Brand never came across to me like a lot of these players do when they talk. Like, like I don't sit back and be like, yo, he corny? You know what I mean? So, Elton yeah, Brand. Yeah, yeah. yeah like. Anything kind of. He's relatable. So, right. So, he might have that, you know, the, just that persona about him that players can can get with and, you know, want to follow. So, yeah, that's cool. Give him a shot. Like I said, if he messes you know up, what, then that, get him out of here. But. Yeah, like y'all talking about, like, fit, like I know you're talking about Fitzpatrick. The media is talking about Fitzpatrick. I had a Bucks fan, a Bucks group on man, who said straight up that he traded Jameis for Trubisky. That's how much they hate, a lot of these people hate Jameis. And I'm like, all right. Wow. <laughs> yeah, Trubisky. that's Trubisky in Chicago. Wow. Straight yeah. up for Trubisky, yeah. yeah. Trubisky yeah. hasn't impressed and, uh, me yet. Like, Trubisky has shown flashes, but I think Trubisky is a little reckless. Um I think he's a bit inaccurate. I, I wouldn't be trading Jameis straight up for Trubisky. Trubisky would have to show me some more. Like the only, the only benefit that you would get in that situation as a Bucks, Bucks fan is somebody who's what two years younger. <laughs> You're getting younger yeah. for two years. Not worth it. And you know, and you know the thing is though. Also, it's like uh, I know people make it a big deal out the girl suing him. Stuff always happens. You already know you're gonna have to cut her check and keep it moving, but. But people don't realize, because I actually watch the games. The Bucks defense is still god-awful. The running game is still trash. Ryan Fitzpatrick hit a 70-something percent of his oh, passes. Oh, big he hit, he hit every actually, deep pass, right? Yeah. And they still only, and they still only won both those games by one possession. So, yeah, I mean, that's a deep um, You know what? Because the Bucks have been – that's why it's going to be a little difficult to maintain this level because so far they've been dependent on the big play. Now, you have yep. big play threats, so it's out there for you, you know, all the time every week. But defenses are going to have to do something. They're going to have to give up more of the inside, you know, to, to stop what's going on deep down the field. Like, you look at that game on Sunday, it could have been a totally different game, first of all, who knows what Malcolm Jenkins was doing on the first play of the game. And he's usually smarter than that. We all know that. So who knows what he was doing on the first play of the game? Why you played Deshaun for an inside route, rather, you know, rather than staying the help over the top, 
Who cares if Deshaun catches a 10-yard pass? He going to run out of bounds. He don't want to get touched. So it's like, <laughs> like, you look at that play, and then you look at the, the other play. Who caught the other one? The 75-yarder. Was that Evans? No, no, that was oh, O.J. Howard. It was O.J. Howard, end. yeah. Tight end. What the hell was Darby trying to do on the tackle? Well, what was he not trying to do? And that was tackle. So, it's like, you look at those two big plays, the game was a little bit more even if you take them away. But, hey, it is what it is. You can't take them away. They let them happen. Um, but on a consistent basis, I think the Bucks are going to have to learn to sustain drives because that's not going to always be there. And if they keep forcing it when it stops being there, that's when they're going to make Fitzpatrick look bad because, you know, that's when he's going to be throwing deep and he'll be throwing punt interceptions and stuff like that, like you see from him uh, in, you know, at his post-contract days. We warned uh, Tobias when the Fitzpatrick signing happened. We told him this. I told you that this was going to happen. I didn't know it was going to look this <laughs> way. He might end up getting the job. Not through suspension, Dude. but he might have ended up getting it just off some. He gets, Yo. He gets a bag. And for <laughs> six and a half to seven games, he is going to look like John Elway Montana. John L. Maria. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Do not be fooled. I'm telling you, it's fool's gold. I don't understand hey. how he does it. Me I mean, you, you, don't, you put him, you put everything in perspective. Fitz, Fitzpatrick is a great backup quarterback. He's a definitely a great backup. And no quarterback. shame in that. And you and know no why? He's, I mean, but the the reason why you can definitively say he's a great backup quarterback is because every time he has to back up, he has to get in. He makes it interesting, and he makes it an argument, or he gets a contract. So. <laughs> I mean, he's been a backup to some bad quarterbacks. Maybe he should have been starting in the first place. But this situation is interesting because Jameis Winston is no bum. He, he, I don't think he's lived up to what we thought he was yet. But Jameis Winston is no bum. So damn sure I think disappointed the, the decision, me. The decision will be easier for Tampa if he doesn't have a good game on Monday night this week. If he has a third game of you know. 400 yards passing, even if he doesn't get to the 400-yard mark, gets three or four more touchdowns, and, and his completion percentage is good, they're going to have a decision going to, to Chicago. make. Well, I'm about to say, they're going to have a decision right. to make when he, when he comes back. But I think they'll give Jameis the benefit of the doubt. If he stinks it up against Pittsburgh Monday night, then I think all is well, and Jameis will get his job. You know what, guys? Tobias, you I'm going to let you know a little secret. He can't stink What's it up that? Monday night. You know why? Because he's going to be my fantasy quarterback on Monday night. <laughs> he got drank, y'all full. Hey, he got y'all full. It wasn't a full Kool-Aid drink. It wasn't a full Kool-Aid drink. I got your man that you love so much, Andrew Luck, as my starting quarterback, right? Yeah. He's playing the Eagles. Hey. Never in my yeah. life. My rules. <laughs> first, first, My first rules are, and, and I've broke them a little bit lately, I didn't draft players from the NFC East. Didn't want to root for um, Washington Giants or or Cowboys players on my fantasy team. Now, you know, if, if cats like Odell Beckham are on the board, like, I'm not stupid. I got to take dude. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you got to take <laughs> I that. think a time or two when Dez was still one of the tops, you know, I think Dez was on you gotta the team. You got to take him. So, yeah, some guys you got to take. So, another rule that I had that I've never broken 
if there's, you know, if I if my quarterback is playing against my team, then I just can't start him. So my backup was David Carr. So I'm like, do I start David Carr or do I take one week of a chance on Fitzmagic? So I dropped David Carr's ass and I went and picked up Fitzmagic. So he better ball and he better make it interesting <laughs> for Jameis when he comes back because this week I'm rooting for him. <laughs> you know what? And the, and the thing this is, is that I, I think Fitzpatrick starts. I think Fitzpatrick will start week four in Chicago. It's a short week. But the thing, but here's the other thing that put Jameis in a bad spot because Ryan Fitzpatrick's playing the game of his life. He's putting up Madden numbers pretty much, Madden on rookie mode numbers. So Jameis wins and throws a 275. They're like, oh, put Fitzpatrick back in, hold the team back. And so there's a lot of pressure right there as well. But I think the problem is that, like, and I always say this about players when you put these young quarterbacks in. Has Jameis Winston's perfect? Hell no, he isn't. It's stuff he's still going to work on. But, but people who don't watch the games don't realize that team had to be rebuilt from the ground up, and they have a lot of young players who are finally maturing as players. And, uh, and many of these, and like, many of these, the good young quarterbacks everyone's hyping up, a lot of those teams they went to weren't horrible. They got good veteran players to teach them how to be pros good, solid organizations that could actually help where they didn't have to have everything on their shoulders, like your boy Luck, when they first got there. And I think that that's understated in the NFL. Right. No, I feel you. I feel you. All right, but Tobias, you know, as usual, man, thanks for your call. We appreciate it. Uh, we're going to oh, move hey. on and get some more stuff, man. Roll damn Take tide. Take it easy, guys. All Roll right. tide. Peace. All right, we're gonna take one more. We're gonna we're gonna go to the homie Rob because we didn't get to him last week. Um, I saw him on our Facebook in our inbox, like, "Yo, I've been on for an hour." So our bad, Rob. We're gonna get to you now. What's going on? We got Rob out in Cali. Rob, what's up, man? Rob. Well, can y'all hear me? We can hear you. Yeah, we can hear you. Yo, what's up, man? Yo, what's up, your boy Rob, aka. Yo, Joe, yo, Joe Bun, the only time you ever had hit was when you were slapping chicks. What's up, man? How y'all doing, man? We're good. Ain't this my man, Joe? Actually, not true, but it was funny. Hey, all I got to say is we got to talk about picture with tape because, yo, Eminem is Thanos. I got to call him Thanos because, yo, I mean, hey, if you want to bring Beth out somebody, talk about somebody's kids. Anyway, yo, he's yo, he's dope. He's he's the man. I ain't going to lie. You think what he did How y'all doing? recently? Is that great? Oh, nothing. What's up? What's up, man? So what you think I about? I think it's, it's not. What's up? So what you think about the, uh, the Eagles so far? I know you like to talk about your birds. Uh, Even though you, you know always what? talk about the Cowboys online. I don't know why you give them so much attention. I, I, I. I did not give him attention. I just reposted you, with You I posted was about funny. Cowboys at least three times this week. We ain't even playing them this week. Oh. oh. <laughs> just, it, and, it and then really people wonder why right they're America's team. Because they get attention when they don't deserve it. That moniker is well-deserved. America's team. It, it, it is what it is. But you know what? I'm going to tell you like this. And I'll be honest with y'all. Okay, I got to be honest. Um... To me, it doesn't matter what happens. I'm not going to give some crazy number. Whether we have a good season or not, you know, last year, I will always cherish that moment forever. I'm still going to hold on to that moment. 
You ain't got hey, no man. children. Philadelphia. It might not ever happen again. I mean, <laughs> stop it, Dad. Stop it. Blasphemy. Blasphemy. Dude, blasphemy. Come on, man. I've lived it. Forty years. <laughs> Took me forty years to get a championship. I've lived it. So I ain't mad, you know. Oh Lord, yeah, I mean, but but you know, what I think about this season, um, it's gonna be a long season. Um, I mean, I'm coming with some crazy. I mean, Jay Ajay, he has to activate his dreadlock powers, but I don't know if he's injured right now. Um, I hope the I mean, Bears do bad. You can't ask for, you know, there's a lot of people banged up right now. You know, Wentz hasn't played yet. He's gonna play this week. Um, Sproles got banged up. Peters got banged up. Like mostly, you know, except for on the defensive side, everybody who was banged up last year is kind of banged up now. Plus, some. you know, Jai went in and out of that game last week. Alshon hasn't played yet, so it's like you know, once this team comes back and 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 gets healthy, it's still a talented team. So I don't necessarily agree. Like, oh, it's going to be a long season. Um, we don't know what Wentz can and cannot do. We're going to start to find out this week. Um, and then when some of the pieces start coming back, they'll be, they'll be way more competitive. Like even last week in a game where they gave up two big plays that did them in pretty early, they still had the gumption to fight back and actually be able to have the ball last with a chance to go down and win the game. They just didn't have enough time and enough timeouts. Things happen, and everybody's going to give them their best shot because they just won the Super Bowl. I, I don't think it's going to be that long of a season. I think they'll still win this division. And then, you know, 11 and 5. I say 10 and 6. That'll win the division. 10 and 6. In the NFC is, is truck juice right now. I think, uh, I think 10 and 6. That's true. That's true. And, and, and my number, and by the way, I never really. You know, even with fan bases, I never really my my beef with the secondary is not the corner is not no necessarily the cornerbacks that is the scheme because they have a lot of talent at cornerback. Sidney Jones, PFF said he, he's really like the best slot corner right now. You know, um, Ronald, Ronald Darby when he's at his A game. He's he's worth the money that that is worth, but when he's not, you know, you know, it, it just yeah. depends. You know, he just got stay he just got stay away from Jameis Winston. But you know, I mean, um, they've all uh, <laughs> they've uh, all made bonehead plays so far this season. And two, you know, one of Darby's came against Tampa. One of Malcolm Jenkins, who we usually don't see make bonehead plays, came against Tampa. Um, I just like I can't fathom why you would play Deshaun Jackson like that. Um, but it happened. Um, hopefully, film study will make them learn from their mistakes, and we don't have to see too many of them anymore. Um, and a game, I mean, also another one, there's certain receivers where it's obvious that these guys are a little afraid of because they were playing off these guys like 10 yards for most of the game, after, especially after they, they got burnt. They, 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 they always do that. They always do that. They always do they 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 always play ten yards, but this game I can understand. I I, I mean I I mean come on, you're playing against Deshaun Jackson and Mike Evans. Mike Evans well, is a man beast. Deshaun Jackson. After you get touched up, 
But when you're in the fourth quarter and you still have a chance to win and all you have to do is get them off the field, you can't play that far back because a first down beat you, so, especially when you're spending your time so common, Had they not played back like that, they would have got the ball back faster and had a better chance to win that game. Right. Rob, there's a common misconception that when someone is faster than you, you always give them a cookie. That That is one way of playing it. But if you're faster than me, but I feel as though I can put my hands on you at the line of scrimmage, all I have Sean. to do is mess the time up. I, if I put my hand, if I put my hands on Deshaun Jackson right now, they might throw a holding flag. He's not getting away from me. All you got to do is hold him up and mess the timing up. So always giving up a cushion becomes a weakness. You're giving, you're giving, Yo, giving or be. You're exactly right because somebody as fast as Deshaun uh, giving a cushion. All you're doing by giving him a cushion is giving him a head of steam to get giving to, a running start. start. Yeah, you're giving him a running start. He's going to run past you. If you jam him up at the line a little bit, and once he gets away from your jam, he outruns you, you still got your safety helmet. But, what the, what the hell do we know? <laughs> what the hell no, no, we? you're right. You're, 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 you're right. Uh, oh, no, I know we're right. I'm just saying we, by the way they're playing, we, we, what do we know? They're doing something totally different. <laughs> We, we, have, we haven't seen, we, we haven't seen like because we have very finesse corners. We haven't seen too much jamming or corners who can jam like that in a while. I mean, they play. Yeah, we got little players. guys back there. But, we don't have man. We don't have three cover zero, cover zero corners. We don't have guys that are going to get up and wrestle you MMA fight you at the line of scrimmage. We got which is understandable. Dudes. But any corner can be that corner against Deshaun Jackson. The dude weighs like 160 pounds. Any corner can be that against Deshaun Jackson. Wait, 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 wait. I got you. This is why I got a friend of Deshaun Jackson. This is why I got a friend of He's L.A. Bound. Yeah, but he still holds the NFL record for um, most touchdowns over 50 yards. No, I, I no, and I understand that. That's actually, that's actually one of our stats of the week. And since you got us into it, we'll do that. So we won't be, you know. After you get off, and you still got to do some stuff. So let's do our stat of the week while we got Rob on the line. We got two. Actually, we have we have three of them. The first stat of the week is Khalil Mack um, in two games. Really, after six quarters, Khalil Mack has better statistics than the entire Raiders defense um, after two weeks. And your man John Gruden just asked the question after Raiders losses. Like, I don't understand why we're not getting sacks on the quarterback. And like we told you last week, it might have something to do with trading Lawrence Taylor Jr. right before the season started. So look at this. <laughs> Khalil, Mack, Khalil Mack. This is six quarters, though. This is, this is six quarters of Khalil Mack versus two games for the, the Oakland Raiders. Mack has two sacks. The Raiders have two sacks. Mack has one interception. The Raiders have one interception. Mac has two forced fumbles. The Raiders have one forced fumble. Mac has one fumble recovery. <laughs> uh, the Raiders have zero fumbles recovered. Mac has one touchdown. The Raiders have zero defensive touchdowns. So that's Mac in six quarters versus the Raiders' whole defense in eight quarters. But John Gruden keeps wondering why his team's defense is so bad. And you traded the defensive player of the year. 
potential candidate for defensive player of this upcoming decade to another team. But, you know, I guess he'll figure that out after some point. I mean, I'm, I mean, it's any, yeah. It's 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 idiotic. I mean, trade really bothers me, but shows how out of touch John Gruden is. Like when guys are in Khalil Mack's shoes, they always hold out to get the extension against that fifth-year option. That's part of the key for that. I mean, it also shows us, you know, even after ten years. Gruden is still that arrogant of a coach where he thinks, you know, my system, you know, I plug and play. If I do this, I do that. Things are going to work. Um, you know, kind of an old way of thinking. Belichick is still there, and he's still successful doing that. But eight times out of ten, nine times out of ten, you know, talent is, is what you need in this league. Like Chip Kelly found that out the hard way. John Gruden might find that out the hard way, or he might prove that he's still a good coach. Who knows? Um, but we got two more stats real quick, and they're both Deshaun Jackson. Like Rob started to allude to, Deshaun Jackson has tied Jerry Rice for um, the number of 60-plus yard touchdowns in NFL history, 23. First of all, kudos to Deshaun Jackson for that. Um, shout out to him. Um, we always called him a one-trick pony. He's good at his one trick, no doubt. I'm even more impressed that Jerry Rice was the guy who held that, that that record, though, because as great as we know him to be, and as much as some people say cats like Randy Moss are better than him, is better than him because of Randy Moss being such a deep threat, it's like, yo, how the, the slow, overachieving, <laughs> possibly greatest football Game. player of all time, Jerry Rice, Game. you know, how, yeah, six, how is he the leader in that? I mean, now, a lot of his came on five-yard slants across the middle that he just took to the house, which is impressive in itself as well because the way they talked about Jerry Rice, you would expect him to get caught on plays like that, and he didn't get caught on plays like that. So shout-out to Deshaun Jackson for tying that. He's going to be, you know, undoubtedly, he's going to hold that record. And, you know, might end up holding it for a very long time because it's not an easy record to have. Something else that I wanted to bring up about Deshaun Jackson. Deshaun Jackson, I don't know exactly what the numbers are on this, but he is the Eagles' all-time leader in 50-plus yard receptions as well. But he is also (laughs) the leader in 50-plus yard receptions against the Eagles. So he was that deep threat guy for the Eagles. Since he's been away from the team, he's been kind of an eagle killer going deep as well. But that's amazing to hold the record for a team and against the same team because he's so motivated every time he comes in. Um, Yeah, he was still, after this game, he was still cursing at people and showing that he's bitter. Look, man. Your enemy is in, is in L.A. right now. Your enemy is coaching for UCLA. Like, there's nobody on that team who had anything to do with that. That was a power move by Chip Kelly, so I don't know why you're still mad at everybody. It's definitely not a Howie thing because they basically put Howie on timeout for two years while Chip was there. Um, so shout-out to DJ with these records, and shout-out to DJ for still being bitter and still wanting to be an eagle after all these years. Um, <laughs> So, Rob, you got anything real quick? Because we got to move on. 
Kelly robbed him of that uh, Super Bowl. I, I got, uh, I got, I got, um, no, I ain't got no Super Bowl, but um, I will say, I will, I will say this. Thanks for saying Lawrence Taylor Jr. because it's because my dad's a big Giants fan, and he always, well, the kid always told me how you know great and how important Lawrence Taylor was in football, you know, and. And you know, well, when a Bears fan told me they trade, well, I saw a Bears fan were like finally trade for Cleo Mack, and they said you can. Ask, he, they said if you ask Packers fans if they would trade two or three of the first round picks for Reggie White, you know they have free agency. They'll say have a F yeah because you know people understand a pass. Yes, because a pass rusher. Yes, you you may make an argument you don't pay for a quarterback, but. A pass rush is more important. It's just as important as a quarterback. If you don't believe oh, you me, ask, ask him for Jimmy. Because a pass yeah, rusher makes linebackers Jimmy. and uh, defensive backs look better. A pass rusher yeah, yeah, yeah. doesn't make, so make it, you know guys like so Darby guard for four and five seconds. You know what I'm saying? A pass so rush make, gets them out of there in three seconds. Don't so, so make your quarterback look, look like all pro, all pro. Don't make your quarterback look all pro. I, 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 I do want to ask y'all this. This is really attention to take. You know, hope y'all bring attention to take because we got to talk, we got to talk, uh, uh, you know, hip hop because, you know, what's his name? Got me going crazy right now. Um, what do you think of the Eminem dishes? I don't know if y'all really heard his, because I was in his album. And first of all, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I listen, uh, this is one of few Eminem albums I listen to in its entirety. And I mean, it took, it, it, it's kind of sad that it took this to be, really put out and make, put, it took really this beat to actually make hip hop beats great again, rap beats be great again. You know, yeah. you don't get no more data kids or beef. I really don't think this beef has done much for hip hop. I think people might be overstating it a little bit. I'm an Eminem fan. Like you said, I'm not really that. Uh, yo, 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 but as far as this whole thing is concerned, like, first, you know, I didn't know much about Machine Gun Kelly in the first place. You know, what he did was okay. It shows me that the dude can rap when he when he wants to. Um, nothing more, nothing less. Um, Eminem comeback. And, you know, Jimmy would tell you, we talked about it earlier this week. Jimmy think it's a little bit light. Um, and I don't necessarily disagree. I was just of the mindset, like, I actually like the song. And I don't really care about Machine Gun Kelly and Eminem's beef enough to sit back and critique their battle the way I would anybody else's because half of the stuff I wouldn't even know what they're talking about because I don't follow their personal lives like that. But, you know, as far as bars, you know, Eminem, I think he proved what everybody already knew. Like, you know, I got bars. You're not going to be able to outbar me. Um and I, I had a disagreement with Jimmy because Jimmy thought that Eminem should have been way more petty in his response. My my thing was like, like with his stature, like I think Eminem would look more like a noodle if he spent time researching the personal machine than Kelly. <laughs> you know what I mean? And coming out to be super petty. I think something like that, you know, you just come out, slap the young boy on the wrist, 
showing that you can outbar him anytime you feel like it and then move on about your business. But a lot of people expected a whole lot more from him. You know, I'm not mad at them for, for what they wanted. I just happen to like the song. But if you ask me about the battle, like, well, it's being a little overblown, in my opinion. But, Rob, we got to roll out, dude. It's a uh, hey, Rob. 50 minutes left. We'll wrap to you next week, man. But I, I'll tell them uh, Tissue and the Tape Boys to, to get you some responses on that as well, all right? Peace. All, all right. All right. Hey, so um, um, real quick before <laughs> we move on to what happened while y'all was on the grind, uh, as usual, um, you guys can uh, hit us up on the website, worldrunsports.com. But if you want to call in and speak with us about any of today's topics, um, you can call the Digital Extreme Tech Hotline at numbers 323-410-0012. Press 1 when prompted, but if you're already listening from your phone, just press 1 if you want to talk. Um, okay, I'm, I'm I'm just now looking at the, the chat room. It was Skyview 1. It was Skyview Kev that said uh, he went to the Mike Brown School of Interviewing. <laughs> um, yeah, that definitely was him. Um, he also said, if y'all get around to it, Antonio Brown should take a look at Mike Wallace when he went to Miami and sit his happy ass down somewhere. Um, yeah, we're going we gonna to get and to Antonio Brown and his situation in just a few minutes. But before we do that, we're going to talk about what happened this week while y'all were on the grind. On the grind is brought to you by Sports the Book. You guys tired of reading the same old sports books? With the same old list, rankings, imaginary starting lineups, and all kinds of subjective information that people try to pass off these days as facts. Well, be sure to pick up your copy of Sports. Smart people only read the sports. It's a mixture of sports and hip-hop culture to keep you on the edge of your seat. It'll keep you laughing like you're watching a comedy special. It'll keep you thinking. Just go to sportsthebook.com or get your copy from our website at rollroomsports.com or wherever you get it. Just make sure you don't miss them. Pick it up. All right. So back in the news, you know, after Hurricane Florence has come through and ravaged North Carolina, Michael Jordan is back on his uh, philanthropic, uh, philanthropic, philan, I don't know what I'm trying to say, philanthropic, philanthropic. <laughs> I got you. Try no more. Mike is being a good guy, and he's. Uh, donated or at least pledged a donation of $2 million um, to hurricane relief. Um, Look, man, again, like for me, kudos to Mike, man, because for me, all people want to harp on is the negative. They're going to harp on what Mike didn't do, what he didn't speak about, um, and all that kind of stuff. Look, he's doing stuff now. You know, and and it's not that he didn't do things back then. It just wasn't front page news. Mike was always the kind to give money. He didn't give his voice when maybe we needed his voice. But hey, you know what I'm saying? Like you can't say. I mean, if you meet the dude as as B. Austin has, I mean, you're gonna know that he he's still a, a jerk and and probably a piece of crap. But you know, as far as giving back is concerned, like he's doing that. And it doesn't matter how he's doing it, when he's doing it, where he's doing it. The fact is he's doing it. Like we can't bash people for not doing something, but when they do, all we want to do is say how he should have done it. Bash him and say it's not enough. 
Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, you know, kudos to Mike, man. He's donating $2 million um, for Hurricane Florence relief. And people can say tax write-off. People can say, oh, he's a billionaire, $2 million, chump change, whatever. You know what I'm saying? I'm a thousandaire. And if you ask me for $20 right now, I might give it to you, but don't think that ain't going to hurt my pockets. That $20 could have went to some pizza. <laughs> that $20 could have went to something. So kudos to Mike, man. Two million, two million more from all the millions that he's been donating as of late. Um, there was a there's a Texas superintendent. Now I'm gonna have to pull up like a third screen here and actually get this because I still haven't been able to get to my my notes. But there's a Texas school superintendent um who by mistake posted on his Facebook page um because he was watching the Texans game and he watched Deshaun Watson not get it done in the clutch. And he posted on his page and he thought he was sending it in the private message says, you can't count on black quarterbacks. <laughs> now, while I get the story up, <laughs> what are your thoughts on these comments from this white superintendent of a school in Texas? I mean, this is, this is America after all. <laughs> <laughs> Devin is laughing because, in truth, I probably feel like they're wrong. But um, no, this is this is America, and uh, white supremacy, racism, bigotry, prejudice, uh, stereotypes—that that it's all par for the course. It all fits in the great legacy of this country and understanding the history of the quarterback position. Point guard, pitcher, you know, those are, are are positions in sports that are seen as leaderships or generalships because sports uh sports mirrors the military and vice versa. Um, but none no position in sports is seen as more of a leadership position than your your quarterback. Your quarterback is an extension of your coach. He's an extension in a lot of cases of ownership. He's an extension of the power structure of an organization. I mean, I can go on and on and on with analogies for what a quarterback is, but you get the drift. He is the personification of leadership. So in American culture, we don't, historically speaking, ascribe leadership qualities and value and ability to black males in American society. You know, so that speaks to the history of this country and kind of old views. Now, through the years, what a lot of these folks who even come from this culture have realized is how foolish were we to think that black men can't play quarterback and can't win and can't lead, and look how much money we can make when we put these types of athletes at the quarterback position. Look how entertaining it is. Look how enjoyable it is to watch. And in the case of Russell Wilson, we can win, Super Bowls even. My problem when I say – my my problem – quarterback thing, man. This is a Russell Wilson is overrated thing, like – yeah, you know, when that Super Bowl yeah. was um, in the can, 
and decided Russell Wilson had like 12 yards passing. They kept him in yeah, there passing right. so his numbers wouldn't be embarrassing on that big stand. Yeah. I'm not saying he's bad. I'm just saying. No, no, no. I, and, and I get you. And I get you. Talking but like what I also was going to say is when we go into the real depth of white supremacy and, and, and even racism in this country, look at the difference in how black quarterbacks are taught to play the position versus oh, yeah. white quarterbacks. There's a huge difference in the way they're taught the position, not their learning ability, not their comprehension, not their you know, their cognitive abilities, because believe it or not, playing NFL quarterback far closer and akin to being a chess master than it is anything else athletic because of what you have to know and master and understand about an NFL offense. An NFL playbook is 300 pages thick. So why are young black quarterbacks taught to be athletes and playmakers See, versus that's the thing. The- you, and you keep using the word taught, B. They're not taught. That's the thing. They're not taught. Because when you right. get a black not, quarterback who's athletic, the coach is like, yo, I want to win. You know what I'm saying? The coach, you know, he teaches these other guys because without that teaching, you probably don't have much of a chance to win. Not saying that there aren't any white athletic quarterbacks because there are plenty of them these days. But when you don't have one, you have to teach them the game. But that benefits him in the long run when he's looking to go to, to, to the next level and then the next level. Whereas you have this guy here, and you're like, man, he can freestyle us to a championship, and that's going to make me look better as a coach, keep my job, get me more money, get me more opportunities. But when he leaves there, he don't know how to read a playbook. You know what I'm saying? He only called four plays in high school, and they were all out of the shotgun and you know, that, that kind of stuff. So – I pulled up the, the, the article, so let me give you the facts on this. It's got to shout out his name. The superintendent name is Lynn Redden of the Onalaska Independent School District. I guess that's somewhere near Houston. So he went to Facebook on Sunday to express his frustration about the Texans, you know, losing by three to the Tennessee Titans. Um, on the last play of the game, Deshaun Watson held the ball as the game ended. You, know, you and I would have had a fit about that, too. But when he commented on a link, there was a link to the Houston Chronicle article about the game. You know, Houston Chronicle probably had a Facebook page or whatever. He, he clicked on the link, and he left the message that he thought he was private. And his message said, that may have been the most inept quarterback decision I've seen in the NFL. He hasn't seen Donovan play. Um, then he said, when you uh, when you need precision decision-making, you can't count on a black quarterback. That's how you feel? That's how you feel. We, we, we've spoken enough before I got to the facts, but it is what it is. And, you know, we're never going to get that respect. You know, we get some respect at the position, but we're never going to get full respect, you know, until – percent earned, meaning, you know, when we get a fair shake at it and we get taught the position like we're supposed to get taught the position. I think if they're not going to do it, I think that should be the, the responsibility of us. Like black coaches, don't use these guys just for wins. Teach these guys the way they should be so, you know, they can have a, a shot at the next level and then the level after that. All right. Right. So, um, 
the Buccaneers, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, has launched a social justice initiative um, with the city of Tampa. Let me read it. The, they, they announced on Monday a partnership focused on improving social justice causes within the community. Uh, so the president of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Foundation um, she explained this player-led year-round operation focused on social justice and making an impact within the community through the leadership of some Tampa Bay Buccaneers players. So um, kudos to them for, for jumping behind a cause and actually going out there and putting some groundwork in and, you know, putting your time in action. Don't always have to be your money, putting your time in action where your mouth is. Some of the guys I want to shout out, uh, offensive lineman Donovan Smith and Ali Marpet, wide receiver Deshaun Jackson, D-Jack, um, defensive lineman Gerald McCoy. Um, those were the guys who were named as leaders of the Social Justice Board, which was formed um, 100% and led 100% by players. So shout out to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, man, doing this as kind of a team effort being led by certain players, man. It's always good to see People doing good things in the community, man. You know, I'm not saying he's the catalyst behind all of this, but he might be, man. So I always got to give a shout out to Cap for maybe instilling some heart yeah. into some of these guys to go out there and 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 stand up for what's right. So shout out. I don't. To that I don't even. Think, I don't even think you have to. Uh, I don't even think you have to qualify that statement at this point, man. Because whether it's in, it's, it's likely indirect, but he influenced these dudes. This doesn't happen without him. So I, I think that's that's a fair statement. All right. And we got a, a story, a high school story from uh, Washington, D.C., our old stomping grounds. Um, so there's a, a homeless D.C. high school football player who's being kept off the field over questions of his eligibility. Now, his name is uh, Jamal Speaks. Um, he says he's homeless. He's not allowed to play for Baloo's football team. You know Baloo because we coached against him in basketball a couple of times. Um, he he mm-hmm. wasn't allowed to play in a game for Baloo's football team last weekend because the, I believe it's the principal at Baloo High School. Uh, yeah, Principal Willie Jackson says he's not allowed to play because he's he says he doesn't have a resident. You know, because he's saying he's ineligible to play because He's not sure if this is his district. Now, the kid says that he's homeless. So, technically, he doesn't have a district. If he's homeless, he stays, um, from what he's saying, he stays on friends' couches from time to time. But, basically, he's homeless. He also has been having uh, communication with Temple's football program. So, Temple University was in attendance to see him play in this game and the coach in the uh principal would not let him play. There's a lot of people taking the side of this kid in the in the in the matter. Even the head coach who's been threatened with being fired if he allowed this kid to play. So I don't really understand what the beef is with this principal. Like if the school district doesn't have a problem with it and the, you know the other teams don't have a problem with it. The coach doesn't have a problem with it. Like why is his why is he, you know, what, what is his axe that he has to grind that's so important that he won't let this kid who has, you know, 
a, a kind of a unique story. Like, why won't he let this dude play? Like, what are your thoughts on this? Um, it's sad. It's sad when I see adults get behind technicalities and rules as opposed to the spirit of justice because it's it's when we attach ourselves to what's righteous, spiritually right, hence I say the spirit of, of justice, that you really are able to teach children the right things to do. So now, unless this principle comes out, and, and, and it could, there could be some extenuating circumstances. There could be some, obviously, there's something in the story that we're not being told. Before you even say that, before you even say that, let me let me give you the rest of the details. The um, mm-hmm. they have two uh, DC athletic bodies, um, and the he he has been deemed eligible to play by the DC State Athletic Association, which oversees all high school sporting events in the district. But according to the principal, he says that the other body, the District of Columbia Interscholastic Athletic Association, um, which is the city's public high high school athletic league, had ruled him ineligible in August. Now, back last Wednesday, the District of Columbia public schools officials said that they were investigating the matter and they're working with the DCSAA to resolve it as quickly as possible. But in the meantime, they said Speaks is allowed to practice and play with his team. But, you know, his, his godmother said Wednesday that she's still unsure if the principal is going to allow him to play in Baloo's next game, which is September 28th against Theodore Roosevelt. So I'm like, do the right thing, especially while it's under appeal while they're still investigating, if he's allowed to play during that time, why not let him play? Because if they say he can play during that time, it's not like if they change their mind, they're not going to make you forfeit games or anything. And that sounds like that could be a fear of this principal, but he's not saying anything like that. So he's just looking like a jerk at this point. Yeah. With all of that, with all of that being said, and what's your, what your, it, it, it's like, we can kind of look at technicalities and nuances to the situation to me, it just sounds like he's being a jerk. Like, you're just being a Richard head. This kid has an academic institution that could change his life based on his athletic ability and based on hopefully doing well academically, too. And you're, you're, you're hindering his ability to realize that opportunity. So that makes you a piece of crap. And you're older, <laughs> you're older Jojo. You're older Jojo because there's no like if I'm if I'm principal of that school, first of all, young man I got an extra I got an extra bedroom for you or you can you can stay in my basement. Secondly, we're gonna make sure you straight, your nutrition is right, and you can play. Like there's no like there's not even a question of that. Like I don't understand and further it makes me feel a little sad because it sounds like this principle is um, of the same ethnic or cultural background as the kid, and we know that when, nine times out of ten. we know that when we know that when a lot of times in these situations when Caucasian coaches and principals are faced with this challenge, not necessarily because they love the kid, 
but they love their program so much and what the kid can do, they'll make him eligible from the jump street to get the wins in their high school program and not even necessarily care about the kid per se. You have a chance to make a difference in a young man's life and you're not doing so. So I need, I, me personally, I would need explanation. I definitely need to hear from the principal what's holding him back. What, what's the, what's the situation here that, that, that you're hindering this young man? Yeah. All right. Um, so I hope everything works out with that, man. I would love to see the kid be able to play. love to see him be able to go out there and earn that scholarship to Temple and change his life. But that's what somebody, you know, somebody said, um, Donnell Mulligan, a former Baloo player, he said, he said, Jamal's a good kid. All he wants to do is play football and get out of Southeast. You know, Southeast is Southeast Washington, D.C., for those who don't know. He said he always worries about other people and making sure they're straight before him. So, sounds like he's a good kid, man. Do right by him. Do right by the young boy. All right, but that's what man, happened Temple, this week. Temple, just give him that scholarship, Temple. Go ahead, oh, give him that right. scholarship. B. Austin requested one of these. For you should be ashamed We want to give a shout out to the human joystick or the man formerly known as the human joystick, uh, Dante Hall. He turns 40 today. Uh, Guy Lafleur, NHL fame. I don't know, you know, some countries they pronounce that Guy. I don't know if it's Guy or Guy Lafleur, but he turns 67 years old. John W. Henry. Uh, he turns 69 years old. John W. Henry owns uh, something. He owns some team. I mean, I mean, is it the Buffalo Bills? I think it might be. No, no, no. I'm sorry. He's the principal owner of the Boston Globe and the Boston Red Sox and the Liverpool football team and co-owner of Roush Fenway Racing. So he's a very, very rich yeah. man. And I um, apologize for mistaking you for somebody who owns something like the Buffalo Bills. Um, <laughs> we're going to talk about this later with Vontae calling his grandma in the middle of the game. Um, so shout out to John W. Henry turning 69, very rich man at 69. And we like to give a rest in peace shout out to the man, the myth, the legend, Red Auerbach. He was born September 20th, 1917. He left this earth. October 28th, 2006. So we like to give a big war room salute to all of these folks on their birthdays or in their birthday, birthday week. Yay! Again, y'all know the deal. Y'all can check out our website, but if you want to call in and speak with us about anything going on in the NFL, that's what we're about to do. So you can dial the Digital Exchange Tech hotline at 323-410-0012. Press 1 when prompted. But if you're already listening from your phone, just make sure you press one if you want to rap to the homies. And this NFL rap is brought to you by Digital Extreme Technology. Do you or your business need a custom website? Well, for dynamic, professional, and most of all, affordable custom website solutions, you need Digital Extreme Technology. No need to break the bank for an effective online presence, top quality, Results-driven websites at incredibly affordable prices. And even if the prices aren't 
as incredibly affordable as you need them to be at this very moment, you can put something on it because financing options are available. So visit digitalextremetech.com or call 267-205-4203. And for discounted rates, you better be sure to tell them the homies over at War Room Sports sent you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. All right. This week has been a very, very, man, first, it's been a, a hilarious week in football. And the hilarity started on Sunday. Are we going to go with the whole song on this, John? Huh? Um, the hilarity started during uh, the, the week two games when your man, Vontae Davis, <laughs> of, what's the, what's the show called? Uh, Hard Knocks. He was on Hard Knocks a couple of years ago. He was a funny dude on that as well. But Vontae Davis of Hard Knocks fame decided that he was going to quit and retire at halftime of the Buffalo Bills game versus the Los Angeles Chargers. Um, he has since explained why he did what he did. You know, he's feeling like he's really at peace, peace right now. Um, a quote from him. <clears throat> says leaving was therapeutic. He said, I left everything the league wanted me to be, playing for my teammates um, while injured, the gladiator mentality, it all just popped. He said, and when it popped, I just wanted to leave it all behind. So that's why I don't care what people say. That experience was personal and not meant for anyone else to understand. It was me, cold turkey, leaving behind an identity that I carried with me for so long. Um he had signed a one-year, $5 million deal with Buffalo back in February. He's reportedly worth about $22 million. He hangs it up in the middle of a game. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Because I'm hearing mixed reviews about this, too. I'm, I'm hearing a lot of people defending, dude. You know, a lot of football peers and people who played the game before are definitely not defending them because they're thinking, you just left your your, your dudes in the middle of the battle. Um Yo. You could have at least sat on the bench until it was over. You could have finished the game out. You could have done something rather than pack up and actually leave during halftime. Yo. Um, some of his teammates weren't happy, and I saw Lorenzo Alexander being interviewed, and he seemed very perturbed by the whole thing. As a former Yo. collegiate football athlete, B, what is your thoughts on Ball just packing it up in the middle of the game and calling it a career? Um, I'm going to just start this by saying if one of y'all jabronis retire in the middle of an episode, I'm coming to see. <laughs> I'm coming to see y'all so that we can have some physical uh, conflict resolution. And I would expect grandma. nothing less. You call my grandma? You <laughs> <laughs> went to the locker room. And I called expect... Yo, your man went into halftime and said, I can't do this no more. I quit. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> See, but that's the thing. No, like, it's being reported as if it was an epiphany because a lot of people are out there saying, like, come on, dude. If you had these feelings, you probably knew that before the game. You probably knew that before the season. You probably knew that before I, training I, I researched, camp. I researched this. I didn't want to just attribute it to him being from the Instagram generation or him being raised by all women for him and his brother, you know, there was some questioning of their sexuality. I didn't want to get into any of that. 
So I did research it. And what has been happening is he was signed by the Buffalo Bills, and they gave him a great contract. Like, like they gave him $1.5 million up front. They gave him, like, a $2.8 million salary. And then they gave him a bonus where he makes $40,000 for every, every game that he's on the active roster. So his, his compensation for the 2018-2019 season was going to be astronomical. When he came to camp, he, wasn't, he was coming off an injury, so he wasn't able to participate. OTAs, same story. So he gets into regular season, and he's not in shape. So they are like, all right, Vontae, cool. You can call your grandma from the sideline as you get in shape. And they had two injuries to their starters. So they didn't expect, can you call my grandma, to have to actually play. But when you're down your two starting corners, he had to go in and actually play. They said he was about 10 pounds overweight, but more than that, he was not in football shape to compete, and he was getting his doors blown off. (laughs) As I guess whoever was watching that Buffalo game saw, but like you said, if you were having these feelings, getting your pride and dignity hurt a little bit isn't enough for you to want to retire you knew before you signed that contract that you didn't really want to continue playing. You figured there was an opportunity for you to steal $5 million in the 2018-2019 season and get out of that season with the last little bit of football money and you wouldn't have to play because you would have kept yourself in good enough shape to practice, but you wouldn't be counted on or called upon to start and actually play and that's not what happened. You got caught with your hand in the cookie jar, and now you're a coward because you left your, your, your dudes. Yeah, he's whack for that. Yeah, I mean, for, 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 for me, like, I, like I've heard so many people try to defend them. And, and for me, it's like, okay, if you don't feel that this is for you anymore, I totally understand that. If you're not going to continue this season, I totally understand that. But I just think, like, I don't know if the way he did this was an attention grab, like he wanted to go out with some kind of bang, but I just don't understand why you, you know, are fed up to the point where you just can't sit on the sideline for the rest of the game. So the coach, like, you know, I'm not feeling, I'm not feeling right today. So, you know, somebody's going to have to come in. He finished, talk to the coach like a man, you know, and, and do it that way. But, you know, there are plenty of people out there saying, I, I, kudos to him. Like, I know it's a lot of people out there who fronting. They wanted to leave a job like that. He just did something that we all wanted to do. But, you know, the reason why a lot of us don't leave a job like that, because we might care about our professional lives. We might care about, you know, how you're perceived going forward. You might, you, you never know. I might want to get back into that industry. So you don't want the way that you left. You know, because football players, basketball players, all kinds of ass get that itch again once in a while. But if he does get that itch and he feels like he gets the love for the game back again, who's going to trust him? He'll never. Never. He'll never play again, not even in Canada. Not even if he wants to. All right. So, I mean, shout out to him. Shout out to the people defending him. <laughs> like, 
whatever. I mean, I don't think it's like some life or death thing, too big of a deal. I just think it, it could have been done in a different way. And, you know, maybe we'll talk about it some more because maybe we can get more in depth next week and I can actually read some of the stuff in his defense. There were actually articles written. So there's some rational thought behind what some people are saying. But, you know, since I don't have everything um, in front of me, I can't even paraphrase some of that stuff. So we'll talk about it again. Um, Antonio Brown, (laughs) speaking of uh, people who make moves that we don't understand at times, Antonio Brown got into it on Twitter. I wouldn't say got into it, but he replied to a critic on Twitter who basically said AB needs to thank his lucky stars because he was drafted by a team that had Ben and Ben got AB paid, you know, damn well, he wouldn't put up those numbers for other teams. Antonio Brown's response to that on Twitter was trade me. Let's find out. So of course everybody jumped in on that. Everybody blew it up to the next level. People acted like he had really given Pittsburgh a trade request. Um, Then it got to the point where you really had to question, uh, was he serious? Because he ended up missing the team meeting the very next day. So I spent, you know, a few minutes thinking about this, B. Uh, My my question was, first of all, why would he even entertain that? Even if he he didn't really want a trade from Pittsburgh or if he was that first trade. I'm like, why would you entertain this? But then I found out the Brian Scarpino. Right, but the Brian Scarpino, the, the person who did it, he's a former employee of the Pittsburgh Steelers. He used to be the PR man for the Steelers. So then it starts to make sense a little bit to me of why Antonio Brown would take offense to it and why he would actually use the words, trade me, let's find out. Because when I first saw it, I'm like, you know, people were like, oh, AB getting at him. But I'm like, AB just told a fan to trade him. A fan can't trade him, so like that's not even a tough comeback. But then I found out he used to work for the organization, so I'm thinking AB could be in sensitive mode here. And since it's coming from somebody who maybe used to be an insider, who probably still has friends within the organization, and AB might be thinking like this may be the sentiment of some people within the organization, and he might just be you know, repeating that sentiment. This is all speculation by me, by the way. I'm, I'm just trying to make sense of why he even gave this dude the time of day. So he might think that that may be what people in the organization think. So he's like, oh, yeah, if that's what y'all think, then trade me and let's find out. Um, but then missing the meeting the next day wasn't a good look because it looks like you were upset. Um, Mike Tomlin, who's already been you know, there's been reports about him losing his team in the news recently. Mike Tomlin said that he spoke to AB, that discipline was uh, provided in the situation. Um, I don't see anything about AB not suiting up this Monday night, so I don't know what kind of slap on the wrist he actually got, but I think that might be the stem, you know, the root of what people say about Mike Tomlin. He's so much of a player coach. You know, he doesn't really instill discipline in players. That's why people like A.B. Do, does the things that he, do, that he does. But what do you think about this whole situation from the response to the, you know, trade me, let's find out, to the fact that he missed a meeting the next day, which seemed like 
you know, a, a bluff on his part, in my opinion. He claims he had a personal situation, and Mike Tomlin claims he was disciplined for it. What do you think? I think it's super. I think it's super deep. I think it goes back to Mike Tomlin not being in control of the organization and the locker room, not the organization, but his, his team and his locker room. I think that you can trace the discord in the Pittsburgh locker room back to last season when there was a tear in the locker room as to what they were supposed to do in terms of their, some players wanted to kneel. Some players didn't want to come out of the locker room. They had the, uh, standing former member of this nation's uh, service and special ops community, the uh, the lineman who came out and made the singular stand. I got to see the flag when the anthem is being put. It ripped the locker room up. Then you have those that have certain resentment of the way Le'Veon Bell is conducting himself, which I don't really understand because we do know the nature of football and we know that contracts aren't guaranteed. So you got to fight for everything that you get. And this right. dude is in a position where he's been franchised. So then you have the internal discord there with linemen kind of disrespecting L bell. Then you've got, you know, chatty Patty and him. And then you've got Antonio Brown who really doesn't respect anybody and is a super duper Instagram social media guy doing right. live broadcast in the right. He went Facebook yeah. live during the post. It's a trap sham mockery all the way around, and we know that Ben Roethlisberger from Jump Street is a coward. So he's been throwing people under the bus in terms of team performances. Yo, it's really really bad in Pittsburgh, and the reason that they remain even close to a 500 team, is that they're blessed with a lot of talent. They got a ton of offensive talent and some pretty solid defensive talent, so they still win games, but there's no unity in the locker room. And I'm not quite sure along what lines it's torn. There may be several lines that's tearing it apart. Antonio Brown is a very selfish, diva wide receiver. He's also super productive and a part of the engine that drives that team. He's another one of these dudes like Jimmy Butler who worked himself so hard and he puts in so much work to be the player he is that he feels he is entitled to and has the privilege and right to behave the way he does because no one puts in the work that he puts in to be what, what, who and what he is. I get it, but, yeah, there's a lot going on, and I think it all leads to and ends with, Mike Tomlin's time in uh, Pittsburgh being over. And that's not to say that I think Mike Tomlin isn't a very, very, very good coach. Sometimes even very good coaches lose the ear of the team and player. Shout out to Andy Reid. I think Andy Reid is a very, very good coach. Clock management notwithstanding. I think he's a great – he just lost the ear of the players in Philadelphia, so it was time to move on. I think that's the case with Mike Tomlin. And I think this is just more evidence of that. No, you definitely made made great points. And, um, you know, Antonio Brown has a history of doing his own thing, you know, <laughs> dancing to the beat of his own drum. Um, and, and this is no different. And 
when he feels he's slighted, especially after a game where he doesn't put up quote unquote A B type numbers in a loss. And he's always mad when the ball doesn't come. That's what I'm about to say. Like had they won this game, he'd still be a little upset with the numbers that he put up. Um so in a loss, that's even worse. And then this guy who, you know, after research you know, after a little bit of research we realized that a guy that he actually knows because he used to be in the um organization takes a dig at him and tries to give all of the credit for the hard work that you just mentioned, B. Austin, to Ben Roethlisberger, you can kind of see why he would lash out like that. And like I said, with, with my speculation, you can see why he why he lashed out, and it seemed like it was directed towards the team with the trade me, let's find out. Because this guy was a former employee, like I said, I, I, would, I would bet, you know, I don't know if he would ever say it publicly, but I would bet that Antonio Brown was thinking – if he's saying this, then, you know, there's probably people in the organization saying this because he's probably still talking to people within the organization, or he just, you know, already knows the thoughts of the people in the organization. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens with that. I don't think his quote unquote discipline from Mike Tomlin has been made public yet, but um, we'll be waiting on that. Hey, I wouldn't mind AB missing a game. Cause, you know, I got Juju on my fantasy team. So if Juju want to take all the reps and get, get off on Monday night, that's what's up. Juju won't <laughs> No doubt. Um, so the Patriots got another steal this week um, when they traded a fifth-round pick for Josh Gordon from the Cleveland Browns. Now, let me give Cleveland kudos for one thing, because we don't usually give Cleveland any props for doing anything intelligent, because Cle- Cleveland usually doesn't do anything intelligent. Cleveland... Whatever Josh Gordon did this time, because this was another behavioral situation where they got fed up, and during the weekend, they made it public that they're going to release Josh Gordon on Monday. I give Cleveland all the credit in the world for doing so because they knew exactly what they were doing when they made it public. They were causing a stir and causing a bidding war because a lot of people who may have interest in him did not want to see him go through the waiver process and possibly miss out on somebody that they may not have to spend, you know, a lot on in a trade, but they just wanted to make sure they could control their own destiny instead of waiting for the waiver process. So immediately after they did that, reports say that eight to 10 teams contacted them over Josh Gordon. Um, This kind of made sense to me because I don't know if you were in the chat that day when they first said it'd be, the first reply to the story that I put in the Wolverine Sports uh, Game Time group in the GroupMe app was Josh Gordon going to the Patriots and all. Right after that, you heard there was eight to ten teams involved. They didn't even mention the Patriots. But that's your first thing because if there's a coach in the league who and, – and a lot of people were saying the wrong thing this week. They were like, well, the Patriots don't – you know, they don't mess with players with those kind of problems and this and that. I'm like, I freaking beg to differ. The reason I immediately went to the Patriots as a possible landing spot is because Bill Belichick and his organization are arrogant enough to think that any player in the league that couldn't be controlled elsewhere would definitely be able to be controlled in New England. Now, you know, nobody did anything crazy. Nobody was out there getting felonies, and nor was Josh Gordon. He just had a drug problem for 
you know, most of the times that he got in trouble. But if you look at players in the past, like Randy Moss had some issues that a lot of teams were thinking uh, he might not, you know, his talent might not be worth the issues that he brings. Like Garrett Blunt, who they won a Super Bowl with. Um, uh, Corey Dillon had some, some stuff on his record about, you know, how he was at least in the locker room and some stuff that he had gotten into off the field. Like the Patriots most certainly look at these type of players because they feel that they're the team that can control these type of players when they come to their organization. So they ended up getting in the mix and ended up trading a fifth round pick for them. Now we always talk about how intelligent the Patriots are B they covered themselves because if Josh Gordon doesn't play in 10 games, then they get their pick back. (laughs) So if Josh goes out on another bender, (laughs) <laughs> and he breaks team rules and he has to get suspended or disciplined for any reason or, you know, whatever, they get their pick back, you know, and they still have a chance to, to, to have this talent in their organization. So what were your thoughts when you saw that he went there? Um, anger, frustration, <laughs> oh, uh, the rich get richer. Um, because, While, you know, personally, I've said a lot about Josh Gordon. I think that talent-wise, he is super elite. But I don't trust him at all because he's one of these dudes that will get into an interview or even a meeting. He is – I don't know. Have you ever seen him speak, Death? I don't remember. He's highly – he's highly articulate. I think we talked about that though. But let me let me before you finish, let me tell you why I don't remember. I don't remember mm-hmm. B because this dude has played in eleven games in the past five in four years. years. So yeah. for me, there were a lot of people like that. Like, man, the Patriots, they, here we go again. They cheating, they're getting Josh Gordon, they're getting one of the top receivers in the league. I'm like, how do we know? The dude's played in eleven games in the past yeah. five years. The, he's had one good season in the NFL. I'm not saying he couldn't have had more, but the truth is, of the matter is he's had one good season because he's only kept himself eligible for one good season. When he had 14 yeah. starts in 2013, um, 159 targets, 87 receptions for 1,646 yards and nine touchdowns. Before that, in his rookie year, you know, he didn't do anything special. 50 receptions for 805 and five touchdowns. He showed flashes. But in 2013, he was all pro. But a right. lot of people are excited about this in Patriot Nation, and a lot of people outside of Patriot Nation are mad and jealous of this. But yo, we don't know if Ball can even play. He looks, he looks no, the part. I, I, yeah, Dev. Well, I honestly, I don't. And then if, if we're comparing. If we're comparing him to what he was in 2014, then I'm one million percent with you. But if you see the receiver on the Patriots roster, I'm fairly certain he's somewhere in between nothing and what we saw in 2014. He's an upgrade, I I, I believe. That's the part I I can definitely agree with, B, because looking at what they have and, and who's throwing to him. Like, if he has any chance in the world of getting back to what he did yeah. in 2013, it could be with this guy. And, so, 
and his his. But I'm not all like if super you, scared of you. Don't, you don't recall. So in finishing my thought, yo, he's super articulate. He puts his thoughts together very well. He will. He's a confidence man. He will finesse a conversation into you believing. Oh my gosh, we got to give this guy a chance. He's so intelligent. He's so smart. He's so oh, he's sincere. And then time after time after time after time after time, he does the same thing over. So for me, there's no way that I would take a flyer or a chance on him because I've seen him articulate stuff like this many, many times in the past. I just don't trust it at all. But I feel like the Patriots have had a way of drawing success out of malcontents, and seemingly derelict dudes, and I, I believe that at at the worst, he's going to give them Brandon Cooks, you know, type of production, like better, a little better than Brandon Cooks. He's going to be better than Philip Dorsett. So, you know, if if at worst they get another uh, Chris Hogan, they want out of the deal for the money they have to pay. So, yeah, man. I was angry. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll see how it plays out. Like, like, I do agree. If anybody can bring the best out of this dude, then you know, if Tom Brady can't, then who the hell can? Um, so, yeah, you know, before we end, just got to give a shout out to uh, Washington professional football team players. They're already calling out their fans for the attendance numbers. And um, and their home opener. This is like the first time in like 20 years that the the Washington team didn't announce a sellout. Like last season, their opener got like 78,000 fans. This season, there was a little over 50,000 fans, and there was a lot of booing. You know when they did what they did. We only got like 30 seconds left, but I'm like, don't be upset, um, players. Y'all have to realize what these fans in this area have been putting up with for the for the better part of 25 years. Like you have an owner who bleeds this community for money, but he never puts anything out on the field that's worth, you know, the loyalty that they get. So he needed his fans to stick it to this team a time or two. And I hope that it continues because maybe to put a fire under their butt you know, to, to do something better for a very loyal fan base, very delusional fan base at times, but the, the, the delusion comes strictly out of loyal. So shout out to the, to them, but shout out to the fans for, the, for taking a damn stand. All right, so we're not going to really get to our games of the week, so if we can, we'll put our picks on our social media. we just like to thank you, brothers and sisters, for joining us for another briefing in the war room. Um, shout out to everybody on the chat room, Facebook, Twitter, War Room Sports, Game Time on the Group Me app, and all the callers who called in to holler at us. Um, special thanks to Gus Griffin as well because he did send in his handicap picks, and I damn sure didn't read them, so I will put that on our Facebook page, um, and he'll be back with us next week. So you guys can tune in with us next week, live right here on demand. Um, on the War Room Sports Podcast Network as we recap NFL Week 3 and preview Week 4. We'll also catch you up on everything else happening all around the world of sports. So until then, enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the rest of this week uh, and the beginning of next week. We'll see you right back here next time. Be sure to catch our conversations on Facebook and Twitter as well as our blogs, webcasts, and network podcasts 
on warroomsports.com. Also, make sure you pick up a copy of Jimmy's book at sportstobook.com or warroomsports.com. Until next time, everybody, don't accept mediocrity. Be steadfast in the war against ignorance. And we will see you chumps on top. Peace. Words. All right. I'm a little late here. <laughs> but y'all know what it is. We'll see y'all next time. Holla. War Room Sports. www.warroomsports.com. What? Ain't no more to it.